The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. Now, pause. The next part that I'm skipping was last week's sermon. It's the part where a woman who had been sick for 12 years comes to Jesus in the crowd where everyone's pressing against Jesus. She had already spent all of her money. She had already tried to find other cures. Nothing had worked. So she went and she touched Jesus' robe because she said, if I just touch him, then I can be healed. And she did and she was. And we learned about shame that she would have had to overcome to get to that point. We're going to talk a little bit about her story today, but I want to keep reading the next part of Jairus' story. Because after that woman was healed... In verse 35, it says this, While he was still speaking to the girl, to the woman who was healed, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, we are, we are looking this morning at two stories that you had Mark put together for us. Lord, I pray that this morning we would really come at this with a very simple purpose, a discovery of how to find faith. Father, I know that this word is um, tossed around, so I pray that you would give us all clarity this morning. Lord, I ask that you would help our minds to absorb, help our hearts to believe, and help everything within our being to be aimed toward Jesus, the perfecter of what we call faith. Lord, help those in here who, who are seeking today, who are being drawn in by your presence, drawn in by your beauty. Help them to understand as well, Lord. In Jesus' name, all God's kids said, amen. amen. Okay, has anyone ever here thought, I wish I had faith like fill in the blank? Someone else. Anyone here thought that before? I'll raise my hand, right? For me, in my genre, you look at like pastors. Oh, man, I wish I had faith like uh, Francis Chan. That guy's got some faith, you know? And, and let's be honest, like there's some pastors and they have crazy faith. There's a pastor who I'm not going to name, but, but he, because it's funny, he said, every time I drive into a parking lot, I pray to the Lord that I would get the first parking spot. And every time I pull in, the first parking spot's open. Now, I don't agree with that kind of faith because I don't think it's polite to pray that God vaporizes people's SUVs. And as a matter of fact, I think that pastors, our job is to serve. 
We should be the lowest. We should be the, the people who serve all. There's a, there's a reason why I will constantly, as a human being, deny, like, we should get you a parking spot up close. No, if you want to give me a parking spot, put it in the furthest spot you can get in the thing. I should walk farther than everyone. And as followers of Jesus, I think it's good for us to understand that faith puts us in a very vulnerable position. It doesn't put us in a position where we can elevate above others. It puts us in a position where we see ourselves rightly before God. And in these two stories, something beautiful is happening. In these two stories, we're going to see how to find faith. And they didn't teach back in the Bible times like we teach now. Like they didn't do the type of teacher where they said, here's one point, two point, three points. Peter would have just recalled this story. Peter is the, the source material for Mark's gospel. And he probably preached this story many, many times. So how do you find faith and what, what in the world is faith? Because there's this woman here who is very superstitious. Her whole goal to get her healing was to touch Jesus' robe. Can you imagine that all of, your, all of your money has been spent, all of the doctors had let you down, and you resort to total superstition? But then we have this religious leader, this religious leader who, who should have depended on doctors, who should have depended on his religious community, but went outside and said, there's only one hope I have for my daughter. Now, it's going to teach us some very simple things. And one of the things I need you to understand today is that faith is not in itself going to save you or help you. There's this notion today that if you put your faith in something, as long as you believe with all your heart, then it will rescue you. That's just not the case. It's, it's like if you believe something with all your heart, it doesn't make it true just because you believe it. We've done this exercise before, right? I want you to all believe right now with all of your heart that I am a 600-pound sumo wrestler. I want you to visualize it, but not the outfit. Got it? I'm still not that. I'm still not that. You could visualize, you could believe with all your heart that I'm a four-foot pygmy warrior. It will not happen. You could believe with all your heart that right now as you're sitting here, your checking account is just filling up with millions of dollars. You could go and put in your debit card, punch in your pin, and you'll see desperation slide out. It will not change based on the type of faith that you have. And interestingly enough here, the woman has this weird faith where she just says, if I could touch his robe. And if you were listening to the story last week, Jesus was being pressed in upon. There were dozens of people pressing in. It was a throng, the Bible calls it. P people touching his robe, people bumping into him, people kissing him, people grabbing his hands. But it was only this one woman's touch that brought about the healing. So I, I came up with a little thing today, and it's just going to help you to remember, hopefully, these words. And the fact that we all need faith, I think, is very evident. People come to church because we are searching for something. Something usually has gone wrong in our lives. Some of you end up at church because your spouse forces you or your parents force you to come. They say, we're going to church on Sunday. That's it. We're going to go learn about God's love. And you get drugged here or drugged here. That's how I get here, the coffee. We all need faith, but there's a specific recipe, I think. So uh, this isn't a real word, but it's the word dids. Everyone say dids. Dids, D-I-D-S. Hopefully you'll remember. Everyone say dids. That was, that was better. The first one was weak. So here's the type of faith I think we need to have, and here's how to find faith. First, we need to have desperate faith. Desperate. Desperate faith is faith that says, 
I have no other way out. Nothing can rescue me. The woman said that my, the doctors couldn't save me. My money couldn't save me. The man who was the religious leader said, my standing in my career could not save me. I need something more. And if you have desperate faith, desperate faith that's aimed toward the right person, toward the right, the right connection, and that's where it's not just about any faith. D is for desperate. I is for information. You have to have information about who Jesus is. And here's the thing. This morning, um, I can only use this illustration because this morning it is so cold, you guys. You know the noise your car makes when you're low on gas? Bing! My car made that noise today. But I thought, I have gas in my car. So I look on the dash. I'm like, okay, I still have gas. No one siphoned my gas off in the night. So I'm looking around, and I saw an icon that I've never seen in my car before. It was a snowflake. I don't know what it meant. I kept driving. I'm like, I don't know what this is. My seat warmer's still working, so we're good. Um, but in light of this, I was, you know, and, and it's been so cold, I, multiple times, if you're on Instagram and you follow my stories, uh, my wife likes it cold. So I work in my house with a snowboard jacket on with a hoodie underneath because it's so cold. And we have an infant, it's cruelty. Anyway, so I'm, I'm thinking about snow and winter. It's a winter wonderland. This is the winteriest winter I've had since living in Florida. And I was thinking about, okay, how can I describe what desperate, what desperate and then informed faith looks like. So I got some illustrations. Um, Edwin, I didn't ask your permission. I'm sorry, I usually ask permission for these stories. But I went on this trip with Edwin. We, we family vacate up to North Carolina a couple years back. And they've got this bridge in North Carolina. It's allegedly the highest suspension walking bridge, right, in the, in the country. So here's the thing about heights with people. Uh, it doesn't matter... If, if you have all the information, it doesn't matter if, if you, you see that it's going to work. Because here's how this bridge worked. Um, my kids don't care about heights. My wife doesn't care about heights. They just walked right along. And this is the highest suspension bridge in the country. You look down, it's certain death and connection to Jesus instantly. And we were, they walked out. And, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not terrified of heights, but I'm, like, not a fan, you know? So... I walk out, and not really having the full conversation, I had been talking with Edwin, like, well, this is so cool. It's the highest bridge. Should we do it? There's nothing on the other side. If you baited me with a suitcase of, like, cheesecake, I might go. But there was no incentive. Eventually, I went. But when I went, I looked back, and, and lo and behold, Edwin is there at the, the front of the bridge. I said, Edwin. And Edwin goes, no. <laughs> Come on. And I could tell in his eyes, it was a look that said, if you say this one more time, I might be concealed carrying a weapon. <laughs> so I let him be. And it doesn't matter for, for so many of us. Uh, if you've seen people go down the bridge, you know there's like, there's like 50 people on this bridge. Like, there's 50 people. But it's a high bridge. It, it doesn't matter. In, in, this, in this illustration, if you don't have the right information, you, you won't know. If, if you're the first person to go on a bridge... I'd be a little worried. But if you saw one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, fifty people cross it, you're like, okay, the bridge, the bridge is a stable bridge. It's well built. But if you're not in desperate need to get to the other side, what's what's to get you to go? If you're not desperately needing some help, I'll tell you what would have gotten Edwin over there if his wife Kathy walked to the other side and then there was an emergency. Edwin would have run over that bridge without a care in the world. He would have gone over that bridge 
by his arms hanging like an orangutan if he had to. Right? Right. Because he loves Kathy today. <laughs> he had the information that the bridge was good, but there was no desperation for him. The woman that was healed was desperate. She had gone to all the doctors. She had gone to all of her resources, and none of them had helped. The religious leader was desperate. No matter what his station was, even though he was the ruler of the synagogue, which back then was a big deal, nothing could help. Some of us need to realize that the doctors we are going to, the doctors, the things that we think will give us what we want in life, they're not actually going to get us there. Some of us are looking to our career, and, and some of you, you're like, okay, I'm here, we live in Fishhawk, we've got the best schools, this is amazing, we live in an amazing community, people are friendly and smile. They smile because in the suburbs of America, we all live in the Stepford. We're all smiling, we all say we're okay, when in reality, not many people are. There's a desperation, though, that you have to get to where you can finally say, my money isn't going to help me anymore. The doctors aren't going to help me anymore. I need something more. And that's where this woman, she went to Jesus, and she, she had some misinformation. But she knew that if, if she got to Jesus, something would change. Some of you think that it's, it's the quality of your information that actually makes your faith better. But let me ask you this. Let's say me, Don, Alan, and Jesse. We're in the winter snow. A grizzly bear starts chasing us. It's going to eat us all, okay? We're running because you're from Brazil. You're going to get there first because you guys play soccer more than we do. Uh, I'm a pastor. I sit at a desk. Jesse and Don, they're taekwondo people. Jesse looks like a bear, but he's not as big as a real bear. So we're all running, and we get to this cliff. It's a gorge. It's 12 feet down, and it's an ice lake. Now, here's what we're doing. The grizzly bear's running, and we four get to the edge of this cliff, and we think, is this ice frozen enough? Or am I going to jump and drown in an icy death? So one of us looks down and says, the grizzly bear's coming to us. There's a 50-50 shot. This is going to hold. And they jump. We'll call that person Don. Okay? <laughs> Don. I had to pick Don for a very specific purpose, which you're going to find out here, okay? Because we're going to go in ascending order. Don lands, and the rest of us are watching. And she lands, and she's safe. And we're like, oh, okay, Don landed, and she's safe. <laughs> she, she said 50-50. But then Jesse and myself and Alan look at each other. You know, Don weighs like, a, like 90 pounds, and then Alan's next. So I'm like, okay, throw the next guy, because if Jesse goes or me go, we break the ice probably. So throw the other little guy out there. Boom. We throw him to make sure that the ice will really hold. And it does. And the bear's getting closer. We can, we can now see the drool as he's marching. This is all happening slow-mo, fast-mo, slow-mo, fast-mo. And then I look at Jesse. And Jesse and I, we're, we're big boys. We're not, we're not built for land hopping, you know? So, uh, so Jesse jumps after I push him. And... Uh, <laughs> And when he lands, the ice gets one little crack. And I'm up here all alone. And then the bear's coming. Now I have this thing. It's, okay, the ice looks like it cracked. 
Don's over there smiling and waving now. Jesse made it, haha. And I'm up here all alone because my friends just left me. And I say, okay, the bear's coming. I got to jump. I don't think this ice is going to hold me, but I believe that it can just do enough to save me. And I jumped. I didn't believe in the ice. I wasn't like Don. Don was 50-50. She made it. Alan got thrown off, but he made it. Jesse landed. Maybe a crack happened. Maybe it was a light refracting. I was unsure going as the last one. I don't, know, I don't think it's going to save me, but it's either this or that, and I choose this. Now, whose faith was the greatest? Okay, now who had saving faith? All of us. All of us. The ice saved us all. Even though Alan got tossed, even though Don said 50-50, even though Jesse maybe cracked the ice, even though I was like, this is probably not going to work, but I have just enough to jump. We all had the faith to save us from the bear. I don't care what type of faith you came in with. I don't care if you came in with 50-50 faith. I'm going to give this Christianity thing a try. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know, something's going on in my life. I just had to come here and check this out. But I don't really like Christians, man. They're goopy and weird. They sing songs and they cry. I don't like the way that they dress. Maybe that's you, the 50-50. Yeah, maybe like it, maybe don't. Maybe you're like the last person. Maybe you're like me in that story and you said, you know, I'm probably going to die. I don't know if this is worth it, but it's better than this. I got to get saved. Saving faith will look different for all of us. Saving faith doesn't mean your faith is going to look exactly like someone else's. Saving faith doesn't mean that you're going to emulate someone else and then they're going to be good. And let me say this, saving faith doesn't mean your children or your spouse will look like you look or like you want them to look. Saving faith simply means that you believe in Jesus enough to jump. You believe in Jesus enough to, to touch the hem of his robe. You believe in Jesus enough to go out of your comfort zone of what people would say is acceptable, like the religious leader, and go to someone who is unorthodox. This is what you do when you're desperate and you go with the right information to the right person. doesn't matter how much information, as long as you got enough to jump. The next one is direction. D-I-D. Desperate, informed direction. The way you jump is important. We, we covered this a little bit, but if you jump toward Jesus, it's good. If you jump toward something else, if you jump toward a doctor, if you jump toward a career, if you jump toward family, if you jump toward your kids' grades, I'm, I'm the worst school parent that exists. My son Jackson does his homework. I don't know when, but he does it all the time. He comes home and he doesn't have homework. And when I ask him, do you have any homework? He said, yeah, I did it on the bus. And if I said that when I was a kid, my mom would have said, you're lying all the time. And I was. So I, every time we do report cards, I'm super nervous. Like report cards are coming out and I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't asked any of my kids how they've been doing for the entire semester. And we get the grades coming. And I'm nervous. I'm like, oh, Jackson for sure has been lying. Silas, I don't even know if he goes to school. I think he ditches every day. <laughs> so, so we get the report cards. And I'm like, Jackson got good grades. You do go to school. You do do your homework. And when I go to the when I go to the teacher conferences, which I do, I try to hit at least 30% of my kids' conferences. The teachers go, oh, Jackson's a joy to have in class. 
And I always say, can I trade his class persona for his home one? And they say, no. He does his homework. He gets in these, he gets these letters about being academically successful. And it's, you guys, it's literally nothing to do with me. It's a luck of the draw. It's a lottery number. I didn't raise him to be this way. I've always been a bad school parent. We never made the preschool class things. We didn't do the kindergarten ones or the first or second or third grade ones. The kid just likes doing his work. He likes to achieve things. He's focused and he has a direction. I have another kid named Savannah. Um, Savannah has a direction. She pushes people when she doesn't get her way. Savannah, when she wants to do something, will move other humans out of her way to get what she wants. Savannah is in gymnastics because we're trying to teach her something, just anything. And, um, and she's bright. She, she already reads and stuff. She has all jammed about that. But in gymnastics, when she wants the beam, she gets the beam. In our gymnastics club thing, I don't know what we go to. I'm, I didn't know I'd ever think I'd be a gymnastics dad. You sit here behind a window, and they're in there, and you're out here with the other parents just looking. There's nothing quite like when your daughter pushes another girl off of a gymnastics beam. <laughs> and then you see the parent of that other girl looking around to find out <laughs> whose parent is that, at which point I start looking around too. Whose parent is that? You got a smuggler out the back door. When Savannah wants something, her desperation leads her to just go for it, like a bowl in a china shop. She knows the direction she's going. She knows what she wants. Nothing will stand in her way. They approach their goals, Jackson and Savannah, differently. Jackson is more savvy in thinking. Savannah is more, I will eat you and wreck you. But they're focused when they want, they're focused on what they want, they're informed and they go for it. This is amazing, this story of these two miracles. Because I can't imagine being as desperate as a woman who is sick for 12 years. I see it in the faces of people that have cancer or, or that are having surgery that's life-threatening. I see it in their faces, but I've never experienced it yet. This sense of, I need something. And you can go to Jesus to get something. You can go to Jesus as a means to an end, or you can go to Jesus as just the end all for you. Some of you have been like the crowds around the woman, pressing in around Jesus. You're bumping up against Jesus, but you're not actually experiencing Jesus for yourself. Some of those people around Jesus had probably some type of faith that he could do something for them. The woman who went to Jesus said, I just need power. I need something that nothing in this world can offer me, and I will get it. Some of you have been bumping up to Jesus. We call this attending church, small groups, Christmas Eve. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve, you guys. There's a name that pastors call people that attend only on Christmas and Easter. If you're these people, I'm not judging you. I just want you to know that pastors do this. And I know, here's the, here's the thing. There's a, a lot of pastors here. We're not supposed to show you the peek behind the curtain like in The Wizard of Oz. But you guys, straight up, when pastors get together on Christmas Eve, we call people who attend on just Christmas and Easter, Christers. It's like creatures, but creasters. See, and we all do it. And it's so de demeaning. I'd rather call you lackluster creatures. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. 
that was rooted in sarcasm, that is rooted in truth. <laughs> Some of us bump up against Jesus. We go to the prayer meetings. We say the things. We, we put on the right face. But we're actually not in experiencing Jesus. And, and here's, here's how we can know. Here's the this and the dids. Desperate, informed toward Jesus, directed toward Jesus, and then understanding that Jesus is our substitute. There's something we... We didn't touch on last week because I knew it was coming this week. When the woman touched Jesus' robe, it said he felt power leave him. It said he felt weak. Now, if you didn't ask yourself a couple questions like, wait a second, how could power miraculously escape out of Jesus? And then if you didn't ask yourself the second question, you know, there's, there's these two pictures. We have the, the daughter who's dying, the woman Though the woman is in public, the daughter's healing who died and is raised is, is in secret. Well, both of these things are connected. But first, we get to this power leaving Jesus. When the woman touched Jesus, she had not been able to go to the temple for 12 years at least because she was unclean according to Jewish customs. And when she touched Jesus, he was weakened. The S stands for substitute. If you want to find faith, first you have to be desperate. If you want to find faith, you have to have some information about who Jesus is. And it doesn't have to be much. It has to be enough to say jump. If you want to find faith, you have to know the direction to jump. It's always toward experiencing Jesus for yourself. Not living through someone else's experiences, but coming to him for your own life. And then the last is to understand that he is your substitute. When Jesus was weakened, power left him. And what's interesting is that in the Gospels, Jesus is never weakened by doing the things that he does. If you look at movies or even in, in old, uh, if you would like the pagan or the Wiccan type religions, people that do spells, any fans of Harry Potter, right? Woo, okay, one hand. So he, here's how spells work in the real world. They don't. But here's what people do. They muster up energy and they get exhausted. And if you watch Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or you look at some of these pagan religions where people do these incantations in third world and first world countries, it's like they try to muster energy to cast some spell and they're exhausted in the end. It's interesting to me how it plays over from culture and media to the way that actual pagan, uh, Wiccan-type religions do these things. But it's always exerting an energy, because if I do more energy, then my spell will be more powerful. Jesus never gets exhausted. Throughout the Gospels, when the storm is raging in the sea, he doesn't go, ah, calm. He literally, in the Greek, says, shut up. When Lazarus is dead, he says, Come out of the grave. When the blind man can't see, he says, go wash your eyes. He's not doing this, he's not exerting himself. He is legitimately just saying, be healed, rise, you're good, go this way, go that way. He's never weakened and exhausted. Except for what I, from what I can tell, the point in the garden when he's sweating blood, and here he gets weakened. He gets weakened by this woman's touch. If you don't understand that Jesus is your substitute, that you die and he lives in you, that, that it's now his, his power, he gives it up so you can have life. He says, I'm, I've come to be made weak so that you can be made strong. I've come to give my life, so that my life here on earth so you can have eternal life with God and me in heaven. And then he goes on to the girl the girl who by the time they get there, she's dead. 
And if I was doing the narrative story, it would have been all sappy and I would have made people cry. But I'm not doing that this week because tomorrow is narrative choose your own adventure. He gets to the girl and he kicks everyone out. Takes his three closest friends. People say all the time, Jesus doesn't have favorites. I've read the Bible. Yes, he does. He's got his favorites. He's got his favorites and the parents. Doesn't let anyone else come in. And he says, interestingly enough, they they put the Aramaic in here, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, little girl, arise. Now, when we say little girl in our culture, it's more like, um, it's kind of like, I don't know you, like you're a stranger, right? Like if someone's going crazy, causing a ruckus in the lobby, hey, little girl, what you doing? It wasn't that kind of little girl. This would have been the same thing that her mother would have said to her in the morning when she was waking up out of bed. Sweetie, come on, it's time to get up. Sweet, sweetheart, let's, let's go. Jesus takes a dead girl and, and talks to her like a loving parent, grabs her hand, says, it's time to get up, and she gets up. Here's how we know it's one of these weird stories that people think, oh, the, the, the stuff about Jesus, it's just myths and legends meant to teach us a story. I'll tell you what, if this is a myth or legend, it's got some weird things in it. Because why would, you, why would you put the exact phrase that Jesus put in there? And then why would you put how this verse ends? Jesus says, after he raises the girl from the dead, get her something to eat. The end. It's a weird ending to a story because it happened. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus came to be made weak so that you could be made strong. Jesus came to die. And the substitute for this little girl didn't happen yet, but it was going to happen on the cross. Jesus came to die so that you could live. Not only that, Jesus came to die so that you could be called one of God's own, so that he could say, hey, sweetheart, come on. Some of you think, my faith isn't good enough. I don't know enough. I'm not strong enough. Here's what I'm asking you to do today. Have enough faith that's desperate where you can finally let go of your pride and say, I'm going to jump because all this stuff I've been doing isn't working. I've been looking to my career. I've been looking to money. I've been looking to family. I've been looking to all of these things to give me significance, to give me gifts for me because it's all about me. I pray that you would get desperate enough to jump. And you may not know everything about Jesus. The girl in this story, the woman in the story who got healed, she thought Jesus' clothes were magic. (laughs) That is, in case you haven't figured out yet, not how we operate. There's nothing, if you come up here and touch just the S, then you get more success. That's not how we operate here. There's no magic in my clothes until second service when my wife's here, then there's all the magic. All you need to know is that there's something about Jesus you need that you don't have. There's something about Jesus that only he can give you that nothing else, no other doctor, no other, no other physician, no other fix in this world can fix. And the reason I know that we all are looking for a fix is because we're all here. So go to the Jesus as much as you understand him in the Bible. Get into a Bible study to get more information. But then the direction you jump has to be fully committed. In our story, where we're all running from the bears, and some of you have seen this before, um, you have to commit to a jump. I'll, I'll go back to my childhood. I grew up in a place called Tanglewood. There was a pool house, and it was about 10 feet away from the deep end of the pool. Brilliant designing for a whole community, you know, the condo apartment things. We used to climb up on the pool house and jump. The worst thing that you could do is when you got to the end of the pool house is to think about it and hesitate. 
We've all seen those failed videos on YouTube. I didn't do it. But we've all seen those videos where you see some kid quasi-jump, and they just lose a quasi-leg. Just bam, bam, they flop in. And on YouTube, you all are sick, because I know you guys just laugh at those. Oh, 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 I can't look away. If I could... If I could commend you Christians to just not do that. Seriously. This is probably, of all these things, I think at the chapel we understand desperate. I talked about that enough. I think at the chapel we have a lot of information. We, we have a, a fairly biblically literate group of people here. I think at the chapel I talk about Jesus being our substitute all the time. He, is, he was made weak so you could be made strong. He was put to death so that you could have eternal life. He was raised again so that, so that you can be raised in him. He became the, the, the brother who, uh, he, he took the, your place in the prodigal son story. He's the true older brother that made a way for you to come back. All the, we need to get that at the chapel if you come here all the time. The thing I think we probably struggle with is the direction we jump and the ferocity we jump with. Because in the suburbs, it's so easy just to be like, I'm just going to test it out. It might work. The woman didn't test. She pressed and grabbed. She had some bad information, but enough to get her there. The father went outside of his social circles. He would have been shunned for this. But he went all in, in public. He said, here I am. That's all my wishes for you is to find this type of faith this Christmas. It's easy for us to live through the faith of others. It's easy for us to, to say, well, I'm, you know, this person is, is cool and I can live through their experiences. That's easy. It takes a, a, quite a leap to jump for yourself. But it's not one that you need a master's degree for. You just need to be desperate enough. Let's pray. Father, you are good and your love endures forever. Lord, help us to jump with what information we have and the direction that is beneficial for our soul. Help us to remember always that you are our substitute. Lord, drive it into our minds. With, uh, drive into our minds how much you love us. This Christmas season, Lord, I pray that tomorrow um, you would be celebrated well, but that it wouldn't be about presents or food, wouldn't be about Christmas carols, it would just be about Jesus, that we'd seek no other doctor to save us but you. I thank you. Thank you for all you've given us today. Bless us in Jesus' name, amen.